San Diego First Church, so good to be with you again. Uh, we are hanging out, talking about the connecting points between this Sunday's sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and specifically looking at the Matthew passage that Pastor D mentioned in, uh, in the sermon. Um, uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13 through 20. Some really uh, headliner teachings of Jesus coming out of this text. Uh, but as always, I welcome Pastor D. Good to be with you this morning, D. Thanks. Always good to be here, Matt. Uh, so, Pastor D, we uh, on Sunday we talked. Uh, you preached um, talking about the mind of Christ and how um, we are. Um, the problem behind the problem being that there's so much in the world that we seek as wisdom, and yet uh, we are called to the Spirit, to be informed by the Spirit, to embody the mind of Christ, um, and seek after that wisdom. Uh, as you turn from that sermon and looking at Matthew chapter 5, you mentioned it, as I said, in the sermon, um, but what kind of connecting points do you see between uh, 1 Corinthians 2 and, and Matthew? I, I certainly see a number of connections. I don't know that it would have occurred to me had I been part of the group of people that helped put together the lectionary that I would have initially saw the connection between them. Mm-hmm. But it has been fun to hold them together and to see where um, Scripture sharpens other Scripture um, and and making sure that you look at our sacred literature as a whole and not as small individual bite-sized pieces that um, uh, don't necessarily communicate with one another when in fact they do, they're held together. And one of the things that holds them together is this storyline that began before the beginning of time that 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 speaks to. And... Um, so it's, like I said before, nice to pull those connections out. And so one of the things that feels like a connection to me is that in Corinthians, Paul is talking about a group of people and some of the mess that they're in. Mm-hmm. It's very easy with the Matthew passage, particularly in how it's translated in English, when the word is, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, Mm-hmm. Um, I think my Western mindset immediately reads that as, oh, that's Jesus's charge to me personally as a disciple. Yeah. I am the light. I am the salt. And it feels like I take it very individualistically. And it certainly is not inappropriate to take personal responsibility for my spiritual life. But the you in you are the light is a collective you. Mm -hmm. He's talking to all of the people who have gathered on the hillside with him. This large mass of people who are caregivers, people who are injured, in pain, paralyzed, demon-possessed. It says um, that many people had various illnesses and diseases. And they've come from the Decapolis and Galilee and Jerusalem, Judea, and the area beyond the Jordan. Mm-hmm. This is a massive group of people. And Jesus is looking at these people and saying, not a command to them. He's actually almost confessionally saying, look around at each other. You collectively are the light of the world. How you treat one another 
becomes salt in your your um, community, in your neighborhood, in your city. And so he's talking to caregivers and those who are poor in spirit and those who are merciful to one another, those who are hungry and thirsting after righteousness and have been helping their family members, their friends to even get there. Yeah. And he's saying, and that is what it is to have the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that this connection is so very profound when we look at those words in Matthew as being words to a community that's trying to figure out how to survive and live together. Yeah. So those are the first thoughts that come to my mind in terms Mm. of connections. Yeah. Anything for you? Certainly the the connection to the spirit uh, that you made mention of, that is the, the spirit at work in us and that it's that collective us um, and that we see certainly this first Corinthians passage uh, but I I would say that the spirit is often connected to at least in the New Testament but you see it in the Old Testament as well as um, the metaphor they get used is as of light hmm. um, and to say that you are the light of the world and connecting this to the first Corinthians passage is that the, the spirit at work in us illumines the, the, the darkness and um, guides the, those uh, around us to the mind of Christ, to, uh, to follow Jesus. I think one of the things that also connects dots is, is the next section below it um, in Matthew. Um, this is Matthew 5, 17 through 20, where uh, Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill it. And in fact, I'm not saying that like the law is going to pass away. And he's saying that one of these things that come from the law are, are going away with the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. In fact, it's this, uh, this renovation project, this mm-hmm. innovation yeah, that beautiful. is taking place yeah. um, in several of the, uh, some literature uh, coming out on leadership and um, uh, kind of what do we do post-pandemic. This is an idea of a tradition innovation that mm. you have to be steeped in in the tradition and in the uh, what, what we Jesus might point out too is the law and the prophets, um, but that that gets innovated into the present and the context in, in which we're living. And I see the connection there of Christ saying, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. If anything, I've come to fulfill them in connection to the idea of the mind of Christ. Now, these things that that Jesus is preaching and that Paul is pointing towards, we find them in the Old Testament. We find them in the law and the prophets. Um, and that uh, Jesus will start making some delineations between like, yeah, there's there's some major issues here of justice and mercy and forgiveness the Pharisees want to make issues of, you know, uh, washing your hands <laughs> um, and giving to the temple rather than taking care of your parents. Uh, and so there is some interpretive parts here that kind of need to be teased out. But that ultimately what Christ has done is to take the law and the prophets and do that innovation with it. He's steeped in the tradition. Yeah. I, I even think I would push further than that and say... Since Paul talks about in Corinthians that this whole notion of the Christ and the redemptive work 
has been in place before creation even began, mm-hmm. yeah. that we see such powerful evidence in the very two Old Testament readings for this yes. week, yes. where it seems to me that the message is, here you're doing religious practices called for by the law, but you've missed what the purpose of doing those things is. Yeah. And the purpose of sacrifice, the purpose of offerings, the purpose of fasting, mm-hmm is so that you are transformed in how you treat one another. So if you are doing those practices and never get to the place where you understand their purpose, Mm -hmm. then the sacrifice, the practice becomes worthless. And it feels to me like Jesus is saying, or, or if we have the mind of Christ, the fulfillment of the law is proved by then how we treat one another with grace, with love, with compassion, with mercy, with kindness, with justice. And that then ties all of these sacred scriptures together with that for which they have been provided to lead us to how we love God and love others. Mm -hmm. Um, It just always points back to that. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I see the connecting points, not only within the scripture, but then the real challenge for me is, and so what does that look like this afternoon, this week, Mm -hmm. over time, how do I treat one another in a way that betrays that I am embracing the mind of Christ? Yeah, the, the, the divisions that we compare witness to and are quite obvious in our culture, even amongst Christians on every various issue if we're seeking the mind of christ and allowing ourselves not to choose our own wisdom right bust out another uh old testament passage here in mm-hmm. proverbs 3 5 and 6 or chapters 3 5 and 6 like if we're, if we're not seeking our own understanding but we're seeking the christ's understanding as you mentioned in the sermon this might change the way that we start understanding others and or entering into conversation that might be a little bit more conflictual um, because we can identify all those conflicts but if we are first putting before us well how would Christ approach this situation or this person yeah it might alter the way that we not only behave but understand the world around us I would I would also say with that that we Often, I do, you mentioned it, but I often apply these things to conflicts that I'm aware of. But often from privileged position, we are unaware of conflicts or problems we've created for others because we've insulated ourselves from ever seeing the conflict. So the mind of Christ calls us to challenge that complacency. Yes. And step into places where we are forced to recognize times when complicity is the issue. Yeah. Whether we sense conflict or not. Mm-hmm. That we have become uh, ignorant of the conflict. Yeah. Even Because like, we have so echo chambered <laughs> the world around us. Asking to the question of like, when we are considering our own position, who who are we thinking about? Who benefits from the way I am going about this conversation or this conflict resolution, and who's missing? Oh, great question. Who's missing? Who's missing? And clearly Jesus is looking towards those who are missing. Yeah, they're in the crowd. Yeah. 
Yeah. What a great way to end. Yes. Dee, thank you so much for your time. What a wonderful sermon. The, the, uh, the, the scriptures continue to teach us and shape us. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God.